unfiltered faith, unconstrained beliefs through theology, where interfaith rebels gather to challenge, unite, and redefine spirituality. Raise your glasses to breaking barriers, questioning norms, and discovering the electrifying fusion of diverse faiths. Join the movement and ignite the interfaith revolution. Hashtag Fruit Theology. Hey everyone, this is Janelle. We recorded this episode back in August, and I just wanted to give you a quick update before we jump into the episode. In this episode, we're talking about the call for the Church of the Nazarene to engage in a discussion about becoming LGBTQ affirming. Since this was recorded, several pastors and allies have been removed from their positions of service. This has been an ongoing issue and continues to this day. Several of the authors from this book have been removed from their positions in the church. Part of the reason for doing this podcast is to bring more attention to the reality of what is going on and to bring visibility to the importance of this issue in today's church. If you would like to help in this process or have someone that can bring visibility, please reach out to Janelle at BrewTheology.org. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy the conversation. Welcome back to the Brew Theology Podcast, where Janelle and I are today with guests Alexa Ord-Keegan Osinski. Is that correct? Yep, that's it. Yes, that, I got it right. Um, and uh, this is a microcosm of what you would experience in a pub on any of our local contexts across the country. If you're interested in Starting a chapter, you can contact Janelle or Ryan at brewtheology.org. Find us on the web. We're at Brew Theology, Instagram and Facebook, Brew underscore Theology on Twitter. And Janelle is going to introduce our guest today and talk about uh, this very particular conversation that all three of them um, have had together. And I get to join in hashtag blessed over here. There you go. So welcome, everyone. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about a book of essays that was put together and released in March called Why the Church of the Nazarene Should Be Fully LGBTQ Plus Affirming. And um, each of us, except Ryan, uh, have experience with the Church of the Nazarene, but he's uh, heard all my stories, so he knows what we've been through. And we're going to just talk about what, what the need for this book was, what some of our contributions were, a little bit of what's going on right now. And and I felt like it was great to bring this on because this isn't just happening in the Church of the Nazarene. This is a microcosm example of what's happening in denominations all around the world and especially in the United States right now. And so if you come from a different tradition, maybe your theology is a little different, but if you're at all conservative or fundamentalist, I think you'll find that much of our conversation uh, overlaps with what you may be experiencing. So let me introduce our two guests. Um, Alexa Ord holds a BA in philosophy from Harvard University and an MA in gender studies and cultural studies from Simmons University. Ord is currently works in student affairs at Columbia University in New York. She also works as managing editor at Soccer Sage Press. And our second guest is Keegan Ozinski, is the librarian for theology and ethics at Vanderbilt University Divinity Library and is the author of Queering Wesley, Queering the Church. She is a member of the Church of the Nazarene. So welcome, glad to have you. Um, Thank you so much. So I thought maybe, Ryan, what we could do is kind of do our old-fashioned intro. We haven't done ours in a while. So what we usually do around the table in the pub is give your name, a couple of sentences about your faith journey, and then what would you say is your label? if you want a label, and you're welcome to say, I don't like labels, I don't want a label, um, and please feel free to include your pronouns in there as well. So um, I can start, and then we'll just kind of go around and do it. They, Ryan's is a lot of fun, so they haven't heard it in a while, so everyone will be happy to hear it again. Uh, so I'm Janelle, and I was born and raised in the Church of the Nazarene and served in ministry for many years. We moved here about to Denver about 10 years ago, and since then I have more adopted the label of progressive Christian. I am ordained as an interfaith minister uh, by the Multi-Faith Leadership Forum of Denver and uh, really do a lot of my work in interfaith work and climate. Uh, Keegan, would you like to go? Sure. Um, I'm Keegan. My pronouns are she, her. Um, I did not grow up religious. My family's not religious, um, but I went to Point Loma Nazarene University for college and I, you know, took the required Bible class and I was like, this is so interesting. And I changed my major to philosophy and theology, like in the second semester I was there. And 
long story short, you know, I started studying theology, got really into it and got really involved in the Church of the Nazarene, uh, which is funny because when you become part of the Church of the Nazarene in Southern California in a university setting, it's a little different from the rest of the denomination, (laughs) but I didn't really know that at the time. Uh, So, you know, that but that's just like how I ended up with them and it's I'm a very uh stubborn and loyal person uh so I've just kind of stuck around through uh you know all kinds of stuff I got my library degree I got a master's in theological studies and you know I just kept doing stuff with the church so I still go to a Nazarene church every every Sunday yeah so I guess my label like I you know I claim to be a part of the church of Nazarene which is very funny for a lot of people who a are really um knowledgeable about the church of nazarene they're like what and also it's really funny for people who don't know a thing about the church of nazarene because they're like oh okay so you're in the church of nazarene it must be really like progressive and cool (laughs) and i'm like (laughs) (laughs) cool thank you alexa um sure i'm alexa my pronouns are she they i i i feel like uh keegan i kind of have the inverse story to you and i think like you and me together, we make one lifelong Nazarene. <laughs> uh, I was raised in the Nazarene church. Um, so when my parents and my um, dad, who's also a co-editor on the book, Tom, is an um, ordained elder, a professor of theology. And then, so I was sort of, you know, in the Nazarene theological ether for a long time and then left the church in, I don't know, I would say high school, college-ish. Um, and I'm no longer religious or spiritual kind of at all. Um, but I would say as far as a label, uh, <laughs> kind of, this isn't quite accurate, but maybe like culturally Christian <laughs> in that, like, I feel like I get all the like Christian memes and jokes and, you know, I like, can you love some, uh, VBS songs, a flannel graph, <laughs> but as far as the, like, you know, I, I don't, I don't hold any of the same beliefs, but I feel like, uh, the community I grew up in still feels like an extension of my community. Cool. Awesome. Ryan? Yeah, I'm Ryan. He, him. And I grew up Southern Baptist. I got my start as a Southern Baptist minister. So I thought you were all going to hell. And (laughs) (laughs) I spent the last, I have to say two plus decades now when I use the plus sign, I don't do the math anymore. Uh, Deconstructing and reconstructing and gleaning from my Anabaptist tradition of my Baptist roots. Uh, Was in the Methodist church for seven years. So I have some Wesleyan in me. Um, the open table became very dear to my heart and liberation theology during those years. Also, a lot of the, uh, the Jewish aspects of, of the Christian faith, which I didn't realize until even after seminary, um, how, how rooted we really were in this other faith tradition. And then a little bit of that mystical Pentecostal, I'm very reluctant. Uh, so I have this kind of strange label of the evolving Anabaptist method Jew-costal with also process and liberation <laughs> leanings, but ultimately very interfaith and probably going to hell in most conservatives, well, all conservative circles. I get called an apostate occasionally, but I think we all do. And that's okay. I, I welcome anybody to the table. I, I have, because I live in Waco, Texas now, I mean, I have people who are very alt-right conservative, both politically and theologically. So I, I will have a conversation with anybody. And uh, I'm, uh, it's funny, I'm back home in the state of Texas, where it all started in my, my you know, university, uh, the Baylor University right down the road. And yet I'm in a very different world being a middle-aged man with with uh, raising two daughters in the in the southwest if you will so there's more to it than that but uh it's uh it's been an interesting three years post-covid leaving denver and here i am back <laughs> yeah never thought i'd be here <laughs> i don't know like so, uh, we, should, we should do a, a raise of hands did anyone think this is where you would end up at this stage of life <laughs> <laughs> I didn't yeah, for sure. Yeah. And that's yeah, that, that's okay. <laughs> having having a lot of grace for where you are and, and where you were, and you know, it, it's it's all good. Um I that's why I think I've always appreciated it was that uh, Roar talked about transcending and including other people have used different language. Like that's that's important, um, especially when you get older and you're like, oh man, like there's a lot of different versions of me throughout the years. <laughs> so uh with this specific topic, I'm I'm curious, Alexa and Keegan. So what what drew you into writing about? the inclusion of LGBTQ plus folks in the Church of the Nazarene? And then what was the spark for this, this book? I know there's a lot of y'all. Um, what was the, and then what was the response like from the potential participants? Yeah, I can maybe sort of kick it off with the origin of the book itself. Um, so 
my co or co-editor Tom um, is also my father <laughs> um, and he's a theologian and he and I had really um, grown up having a lot of theological conversations and I had worked on other books with him and then we worked together at the, um, the press together and um, Tom has gone through many institutional processes and uh, criticism for his, his more progressive belief, especially over this issue. And so when that sort of came to a head in 2021, when he was, um, uh, there was a hearing about his LGBTQ plus affirming beliefs, um, he then reached out to me and said, let's connect and, and start this book together, um, largely because I'm a queer person and also I study gender studies. And so he could kind of bring the more theological elements to it and it was sort of like the perfect merging of worlds. Um, so we started working on the book and we decided that we really wanted the sort of ethos of the book to be a collection of as many people as possible with sort of Nazarene backgrounds coming forward and sharing their perspective and their experiences, largely because so often, you know, I grew up uh, in a very affirming household and with a fair amount of affirming sub-community within the larger, you know, more conservative Nazarene community. But so often we sort of heard that uh, the powers that be in the Nazarene church only really hear from the negative view, you know, like the homophobic stance of, oh, why, why is this, why are these professors, you know, being so liberal? And so many people who were affirming didn't feel like they could stand up and say something. And we thought, okay, well, there's power in numbers. Let's all come together. Let's get queer people. Let's get allies. Let's get scholars who are thinking about this issue. And let's find a platform where we can all sort of make a collective stand together. So we ended up with 90 essays, which is really, you know, quite, quite something. Um, and it really was just an amazing uh, way to build a, yeah, a micro community within the Nazarene church. And can you share a little bit about what's been going on since the book came out, just in terms of uh, the social media presence and, and how that's um, in creating discussion spaces? Sure. So one of the, I think, most fruitful and like, I don't know, joy-filled outcomes of the book has been the Facebook group that was created alongside the book's release. Um, originally sort of intended as a support group for the contributors and that sort of expanded to bringing in other friends and just generally more affirming folks. And while there have been a fair number of negative outcomes, you know, some, some contributors have lost their jobs, some have, are undergoing more disciplinary actions, have had more consequences with their family and friends. It's also been such a great sort of community space on Facebook to recognize that, oh, I've held this belief in alone for so long but now we have all of this um conversation and for me personally it's also been really wonderful because as someone who you know lives uh across the united states and is fairly disconnected from my church community this has been a really nice way to re-engage and sort of re rebuild something that i did not maybe end on the happiest of notes you know but now now having these relationships with uh you know a new Nazarene community has been really great and you know keegan you also are very active in the Facebook group. So I'm curious your sort of perspective on engaging in that way. Yeah, I think for me, what's been so interesting is um, how this whole thing has really confirmed the suspicion I've had for a long time that there actually is a critical mass of affirming Nazarenes. But because of the way that the powers that be uh, exercise that power in the denomination, no one can feels like they can say anything. Yeah. So there's a whole swath of pastors and lay people who are secretly affirming, right? Because they can't be publicly affirming or they'll lose their jobs or they'll, you know, be kicked out of their church and all these kinds of things. And so what I've been doing for so long, not in any like concerted way or, you know, really on purpose is just by being myself and being out and being uh, you know, a loud mouth, um, people kind of find me and then like they find each other and I'm like, oh my God, there's so many of you. And they're like, oh, I thought I was alone. And so this book project really has brought all those people together in a much more public way. Um, yeah. in, and it's, it's been really exciting to see. I mean, like, yes, I, I knew it. <laughs> and I know it's been so um, healing for a lot of people 
I think, to find out that they're not alone, um, whether they're, you know, queer and thought they were the only queer Nazarene or they were just, you know, affirming ally and thought they were the only ally Nazarene that they knew um to realize that like no actually like not all Nazarenes are these like homophobic assholes like people are generally like on board and cool but it it just doesn't seem that way because of just the structure and things like that yeah I've been away from Nazarenedom for quite a while too and mostly just following with people on Facebook and this has been a really fun time to 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 reconnect in a new way and to see that hope that's coming out of people saying no like there's there's something positive here and we're going to keep speaking up um and I think that's been really beautiful and I think for me also like as someone who is currently a member still I think that's been something for me that I've really um cared a lot about like obviously people leave for this very reason and they as they should like I'm never ever being like you need to stay and fight I've never once said that I'm always like if you need to leave for your own health for your you know mental peace of mind like do it um but I've just been so interested to find ways for people to stay if that's what they want to do you know and and still be you know a witness to another way Um, And that's kind of what I felt like my calling is because I didn't grow up in the church and I don't have these like really deep, you know, church hurts, right. Um, That are very common and that cause people to leave rightly. So like, I don't have that. So this is my like point of privilege that I can just be like, I'm just going to keep showing up and like, just, you know, I'm just trying to go to church. (laughs) Um, And so like seeing what comes of that um and and what other people in that kind of same situation are able to do yeah I think that's so cool because I feel like in every denomination and people that I've come across and I've obviously come from um the Baptist side of things but you have the same thing people who have so much baggage that they just leave all together and then people who come in without any of that and I'm like oh you don't know how how privileged you are you don't have any of that history (laughs) And uh, it's like, but but for those people to like yourself uh, to come in and be allies, it's it's so critical. Um, so yeah, Keegan, could you could you continue then with within now your studies of going back, uh, laying the groundwork for us about the stance of the Church of the Nazarene on LGBT plus um, in, in inclusion or lack thereof, and then where they stand right now in terms of participation within the denomination. I know that's uh, it's a large denom- denomination, but um, yeah. Yeah. So the basic. The basic stance is, and and for a long time, this the more progressive way to interpret it is that it's okay to be gay, it's not okay to act gay. That's typically like the more progressive way to interpret it. Obviously, the less progressive way to interpret it is like being gay is a sin and you should go to conversion therapy, right? So there's there's literally like there's a lot of <laughs> space there. Um But in 2017, at the last General Assembly, which is, you know, the big, you know, gathering um, where, you know, we do polity policy stuff, um, there was a statement passed um, about human sexuality broadly that changed the language from what it was before that specifically talked about homosexuality being an abomination and a, a sign of like sexual brokenness and sin in the world. Um, They kind of reframed it to a larger um, statement about how sexuality is good, God created it, Um, you know, we're against rape, we're against um, sexism, like, so it, it made it a much better statement but then you also had pieces like homosexuality is a, still a sign of like brokenness. It's a it's a broken way of of being a sexual person. Um, so it's like it got nicer, but not anywhere near you know affirming at all. Um, so it, it's good. It was a good thing. We're generally happy with it. It passed by like ninety seven percent approved of it, which was a really big deal for something so. Um, controversial, right, as like sexuality. 
Um, but everyone was like, okay, we can get on board with this. This is something we can work with. Everyone can work, work with this. Like the more progressives were like, okay, you know, it's obviously better. So we'll take it. And the more conservatives were like, it still says homosexuality is a sin. So we're good. Um, <laughs> so like, that's kind of where we were in 2017. Um, and then coming into this year, we had a, a general assembly. It was like delayed a year because of COVID. Um, and there were a couple of resolutions that were proposed to change that statement that everyone loved back in 2017. So there were some things that were, you know, people wanted to change it. People wanted to go back and make it much more strict and, um, you know, conservative. Um, and luckily that didn't happen. So none of those, I think none of those um, edits to that statement passed. Um, which was generally a positive thing, I think, um, that like the church as a whole identified, like, let's not, you know, go back and, you know, destroy and dismantle this statement that 97% of us liked, you know, just five years ago. So that was like a, a win, I guess. Um, but of course, yeah, like there's there's no way in which you could say that the Church of the Nazarene is affirming of LGBTQ people. Um, there were also some resolutions that went through. I think one of them that did pass that um, were like stuff about gender identity that was just like not great. And like to the point where it's like these, these people really don't know what they're talking about, which is really frustrating. Um, as someone, you know, and I'm sure Alexa understood, like, as someone, like, who has studied and, like, you know, has a degree in, like, religion, gender, and sexuality, and has, like, studied and done work in this area, to have people, like, making these big decisions who have not done any of this study, and who will not talk to people who have done this kind of study is very frustrating. Um, so, you know, even though I'm, like, in the church, theologically educated, um, you know, participating in these conversations, you know, because I'm queer, like my, you know, expertise doesn't count. So that's frustrating. Um, so that's kind of where we are right now and how we yeah. got there. I think if that answers the question. I'll just add to that also, um, I, I feel like in the past maybe year or two, the Church of the Nazarene is sort of, there's getting a lot of traction and momentum around this issue, largely around sort of two foci that maybe Keegan, you can uh, add on to if there's something else I'm missing here. But first off, um, there's a, a group called the 1908 Project. 1908 is the year in which the Church of the Nazarene was founded, and its specific mission is to, the project is to um, engender this conversation and start making progress on becoming more affirming. Um, and then secondarily, in uh, ooh, February, some point early this year, um, at Point Loma, actually, um, the Dean of Theology there, Mark Maddox, um, was fired for, even it's so convoluted, <laughs> for supporting an affirming faculty member, not even outright being affirming himself. And that sort of caused a big stir. And then the, the 1908 Project stuff started kicking off. Um, and then the book was released all sort of in preparation for the General Assembly that happened in June. And while, you know, we didn't really make a lot of strides at General Assembly, I feel like this is really sort of setting us up to carry this this movement forward and get conversations going. Yeah, is there anything, Keegan, you want to add about General Assembly and that conversation and the way it went? Just so you know, Ryan and, and our listeners, Keegan tracked like all the polity changes on this amazing spreadsheet and like knew everything that was going on. It was fantastic. So I just want to give you a little space if there's more any more that you want to say about how that those changes were being done or talked mm, about I think really the only thing that struck me was like I said kind of just the lack of preparation and the lack of education that there is for the people making these decisions um a lot of people especially people who are outside of the United States right are not engaged in this conversation in the same ways and like yeah. the way that the United States kind of like runs things even though it's a global church um those were air quotes sorry we're on a podcast <laughs> um it it's just kind of yeah it's just kind of weird and frustrating um the other thing I guess I'll say is is the way that more progressive people particularly progressive people who have left the church of the Nazarene 
the way that they were frustrated by the way things panned out um kind of struck me as odd because it's like what like what do you expect <laughs> like everyone's like oh my god they didn't become affirming it was like that was never on the table no that was, that was just never on the table like right relax like of course not so it's like uh, expectations need to be need to be tempered here um you know like that kind of change is really not I mean personally I don't think it's ever going to happen I don't think that is really the goal. I think the goal is, should be more of this, just like conversation, education, guiding people through and out if need be, you know, that kind of thing. So I don't know. I think that's as, and as far as like the actual polity, like nothing really changed. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's important to say, like everything's basically the same. And while I think it brought some things to the fore in this conversation um, that that are going to make it more difficult to make things more progressive in the future, I think, because people are like, oh, there's actually, you know, queer people. Here. <laughs> there's actually allies like there actually are people that are are affirming in this church. You know, a lot of people didn't think that ha was true because like we talked about, everyone has to be really quiet about it. But yeah. now people are kind of like, no, we're going to speak up and we're going to like put our money where our mouth is. We're going to, you know, like take those risks. Um, that's a big deal. Yeah. Um, and we did have like a small gathering at um, the General Assembly of um, people who contributed to the book, people who read the book, just it was like a general like LGBTQ and allies just you know, very informal gathering that we just kind of like threw together. I think we had like 50 people show up and it was really moving because a lot of us, again, thought we were alone for so long. Mm -hmm. um, and to just, even in that small of a group, feel supported, feel seen, there's definitely energy and momentum there to just keep doing something um, to organize to be like visible yeah. and that's that's a big that's a big deal that's a big move forward I think for the church of the Nazarene yeah that's interesting Keegan that you say um that you don't think that you'll ever see the church becoming affirming it makes me curious I've always like sort of hopefully said maybe in my lifetime <laughs> um but it I I'm curious your perspective as someone who came to the church later in life and also Janelle someone who has grew up Nazarene in in many ways you might say that the church of the Nazarene is a dying church um so the the church of the Nazarene is a part of a larger theological movement called the Wesleyan holiness tradition and uh the holiness movement churches rank second worst in uh as denominations of retaining their youth first worst worst is atheist interestingly <laughs> <laughs> the atheists just can't keep those kids around they just flock to god <laughs> but yeah so the 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 nazarene family of traditions uh we are the worst uh i guess christian or religious denomination at, at retaining our youth and so i'm curious keegan and janelle if you see the the future of the church as sort of you know helping us senesce gracefully, you know, that like, as you're saying, education to people who are still in the church, or if you feel like you really are trying to invigorate something more and take sort of the ashes and like create Nazarene 2.0, or I don't know, maybe it's not called Nazarene anymore. What do we do with this dying church? <laughs> yeah. yeah. You can go first, Keegan. Okay. Um, I, so I personally don't have any skin in the game as far as like needing to save the church. I like, I'm not concerned about that. You know, like, I don't feel like I need to defend the church. I don't feel like I need to save the church. Like, whatever happens, happens kind of like if the Nazarene church were to just like disappear tomorrow, I'd be like, all right like <laughs> like the you know the people would still be there like whatever like and so personally I'm like I love the church of the Nazarene um but I'm I'm not really like committed to its perpetual existence so the idea of retaining youth like for what purpose 
right? Mm -hmm. um, I'm more interested in fostering and nurturing youth that grow up into healthy adults. <laughs> mm -hmm. I, and like whatever religion, whatever part religion has to play with that or Christianity or Wesleyan Christianity specifically, I'm very like open to kind of whatever that means. Because for some people, they really want to hold on to that. And I'm like, great, here's how you can hold on to that. Here's how you can read the Bible in a way that is um, meaningful and not harmful. I I can equip someone to do that. If someone is not interested in keeping the Bible and maintaining that kind of meaning-making system for their life, that's okay. I, you know, can help them like try something else or leave that behind or what, you know? Um, so it really depends. Like there's a lot of options. Um, and I think people get really hung up on like doing the right thing which mm -hmm. I mean, is, you know, a good intention, but, you know, I think, you know, we're just joking about getting old and like, you know, out my back kind of stuff, but also like for me getting older has really been like, oh, there's no right or wrong answers. Mm -hmm. Like no matter what decision you make, like you're, you just, you're just going that way now. You change your mind, you go that way now. Like, so as far as retaining youth, I don't understand why that is like a necessary goal for churches unless they're just talking you know numbers money like for what i i'm not convinced by that yeah does that answer the question <laughs> yeah i think so i mean i i think that it kind of brings up for me like being a little bit older and really i was really raised during the height of original purity culture which i think it's still going on but it there was such intensity about We've got to keep you pure and here and in the box. And we want to make you Nazarene. We're going to send you to camp every year. And we're going to send you to NYC and make sure that you're Nazarene. And then when you would ask questions about where kids went after college or what was happening statistically to our kids, it was just crickets. There was nothing. You could see them leaving. You knew that some of us were leaving, but you, and you saw kids leave out of your youth groups, but there was no conversation about it. And there was, I think there was this wish that it was better, but it didn't go anywhere beyond that. I mean, we tried more discipleship. We tried more, you know, high conflict with, with the culture. Let's really make you Christian in music and clothing and all of that. And in it, it wasn't enough. And I think looking back on that and looking back at who I was when that was me, you know, I think for a lot of people that that rigidity was not appealing. And when they started to kind of spread their wings and, and see a world that was different than that, it, it let them leave. And I think also that the world is bigger than our fishbowl. And once you start to see outside of that fishbowl, it doesn't mean you can't be Nazarene, but if we have no flexibility to let you like, like queen and be Nazarene or <laughs> love movies and be Nazarene, that really starts to make things irrelevant. And then the second layer for me, as I've gotten, you know, a, a little farther away is just, there's a lot of abuse and and trauma that comes from the way that many that we the way we treat our youth and i don't mean like necessarily sexual abuse i just mean the way that controlling narrative the way of demanding that you look a certain way or do your hair a certain way or listen to certain things um that hurts people and denying people their wholeness whether you're lgbtq or female and going into ministry or whatever, like when you're not allowing people to live out their image of God, you, you can't expect them to hang around. I don't think I didn't know that then, but now I see the, the impacts of that and they're not going to keep their kids if they won't let them grow up. And so what, whatever happens to the Nazarene, I think is really in their hands at this point. What I think if I were to dream about what the church of the Nazarene could be, I'd, I'd love for it to be healthy and live into wholeness and let people flourish and find ways to do that even in the midst of difficulty. That's the story that my dad told me when he was coming back from Vietnam 
with tattoos and was hated by our culture, the, the Church of the Nazarene embraced him and loved him and made a space for him. And I don't think that would happen today. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's so much about how I came to be part of the Church of the Nazarene was like the people who were around me who were Nazarene just really picking me up from like the worst time of my life and encouraging me and telling me, you know, I was smart, I was capable, I could do this kind of work and I could do this kind of work in the church. And I was like, okay, cool, bet. <laughs> and like, you know, like people always being supportive of me. And even, you know, to this day, like finding local congregations that were welcoming of me, no matter what. Um, again, like I know my story is so rare, um, but it's real. And so that's, that's yeah. kind of why I stick around to tell it because I'm like, listen, like we can do this y'all. Like the church of the Nazarene can do this. I'm like, you know, living yeah. proof. And also like wrapped up in that and my experience is my experience having learned Nazarene theology and like Wesleyan theology more broadly and being like, y'all, this is, this is progressive. <laughs> um, <laughs> like what, what do y'all do? Why are you reading it this way when you could read it this way? It's so much better. And it's like so much more freeing and loving and like, it's still Nazarene, um, yep. which is kind of how I ended up writing my book. Right. Like talking about like taking John Wesley's sermons and reading them through this queer lens and, you know, using Wesleyan theology to be like, look, you can read this in a really affirming and liberatory way. And it's still Wesleyan. It's so Wesleyan. It's so Nazarene. So I'm just like, that's kind of, you know, how I've ended up just doing my work is just being like, yeah, no, it's possible. You can do this. <laughs> so Alexa, uh, clearly this topic means a lot to you. Um, you've studied this in your master's program. So just to get, um, uh, more specific into your world, what would you like to share with the listeners about gender and what it means to you in your relationship to faith? Sure. Well, uh, a little unique in that I think I think other people who are more religious than me probably would have maybe more uh, spiritual answers, but that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> um, I think one of the things that I care a lot about is building a community in a way that fosters growth and learning and really acknowledging our mistakes together and, you know, building something together. And I think that the way that this sort of plays into my background in gender studies is a big part of my role in editing this book was very practical in doing some, you know, find and replace <laughs> in the, the manuscript of uh, basically doing sort of a, a, a read through and edit specifically for sort of affirming and uh, supportive language, which is something that I know can be presented as sort of very policing of language that, oh, there's this right way to do it that I don't know. And if I mess it up, I'm a terrible person. Um, and that's sort of really black and white, just number one, doesn't have any, again, Keegan, they got to look into the theory, man. It's just not supportive. <laughs> <laughs> that's not actually how like queer theory works but also it's just uh it's a real like shutting down approach and I think that we can make a lot of progress in creating sort of the the rich you know community that I think the church is wanting to in thinking about the way that our ideas about gender and about sexuality and about personhood get expressed through language and so that was a way that it, one of the difficulties of writing this book is that we wanted to include people at all sort of perspectives and entrance points into the issue, which means that some of the essays, you know, might not be as like, quote unquote, progressive as I would agree with, you know, that like none of, not all of our contributors agree with each other. And part of my role was to leave those, you know, not try and like conform everyone to this ultra liberal stance. Um, but to leave those perspectives because they're very important and they'll connect with people who maybe uh, are in that same place, but to make sure that our ideas were all being presented in a way that weren't being intention unintentionally harmful because no one in that book, you know, is trying to be harmful, but this is not everybody there necessarily has the expertise or, or experience in this area. So I think that obviously gender and sexuality is a rich 
tapestry that, uh, you know, I think the church would say, hopefully that God created and brings about God's vision of creation and love and community. And I think that really embracing as a church, how we can lean into that and find out how to engage rather than be turned off by, oh, I don't want to get it wrong is a real place for growth and development. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. Is there anything more you'd like to share about kind of your own experience in the Church of the Nazarene in this setting? Sure, yeah. I think it's really interesting, Janelle, and I I thank you for this. It's it's really sort of like shaking up my worldview, man. Oh. Uh, the idea of like sort of denominational purity or, you know, something like that, cultural purity akin to the sort of sexual purity culture that like I definitely got some degree of. But yeah, thinking about how how I experienced that, and I've never really thought about in some of the ways, the, in some ways, part of the fact that I am quote unquote culturally Christian <laughs> is because of how the church sort of molds their youth into you need to be going to church camp, you need to be dressing this way, you know. I don't smoke, drink, or chew, or go with guys that do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I feel like that's really making me rethink a lot of my experiences growing up in the church, despite the fact that I personally don't have a story of leaving the church over this issue, feeling like I was really, you know, persecuted as a queer person growing up. It just was always sort of an absence, you know, a lack of ever talking about queer representation or homosexuality, you know, quote unquote homosexuality. Yeah. Um, So I feel like it's really interesting to think about the ways in which there was no the ways in which my queerness was was silenced or or ignored as part of this sort of cultural molding to be this very specific Nazarene kid. I'm just, I am fascinated. <laughs> yeah, it's really, I found that it's something that only gets clearer for me the farther away I am. And also as more people have been deconstructing, especially in the last couple of years and reading their stories and realizing this is a pretty common phenomena um, that a lot of people go through this, but that I think we had a little bit of a special brand in the Church of the Nazarene because at least I I was in the Midwest in a very conservative part of the country. And so maybe my experience is even a little more strict, but, but we had very, very tight guidelines about what it meant to be Nazarene. And, um, and it's still, I still find myself saying I'm Nazarene sometimes and have to remind myself like, well, no, actually I'm not anymore, but we find ourselves tied back in because of those bonds, because of that enculturation that we were given so early. So, Well, there's something to be said about that too. Again, like, cause I come at this from kind of as an outsider, the, the fact that like, you still are Nazarene in the sense that, right, like, because you know all these Nazarenes, right? And that's that's the crazy thing about the Church of the Nazarene, right? And you guys are gonna know exactly what I what I mean is that like when you meet someone and they're like, oh yeah, I grew up Nazarene, you're like, do you know so and so? Do you know so and so? Do you know so and so? And they're like, no, but I know his sister or like you know like there's never more than two degrees of separation, right? And that when I first heard of that when I first got to Point Loma I to this day I remember like sitting in my very first class and the professor going through the role and being like oh I know your aunt I know your grandma I know your mom like and I was like what is going on what is this place but also being like I want to be part of that Mm -hmm. like and you know my big like you know childhood wound or whatever is like belonging so I was just like I want to, like, I want someone to know me and, you know, the church of the Nazarene is such a small world that, you know, it, you know, we'll make all kinds of jokes about like incest or like, you know, whatever, like every, everybody, you know, marries each other, whatever. Um, but also like, there's something really special about that, about, you know, knowing people and having that kind of like shared cultural understanding, even if it's not you know, like actually, right. um, right. And even if it's negative, right. Like you still have that kind of like camaraderie, um, that doesn't just like go away. And again, like, I know that that ends up doing harm to people in a lot of situations as well, 
but also like it's such a two-edged sword right like it's also like that kind of thing where if I have a crisis if I'm like if my car breaks down in the middle of Illinois I can get on Facebook and be like help and someone will be like oh my brother's wife's cousin lives here and like, she's gonna come pick you up like that I can guarantee you like I feel safe and cared for because I am part of the church of the Nazarene yeah um and like that kind of stuff even though it can be harmful like that I think that doesn't always go away even once you leave you know yeah Ryan does this resonate with any of your experience at all yeah, I mean, living back here in Texas and specifically, you know, where Baylor University is, um, which is kind of funny because I grew up in Austin in a in a very Baptist, well, pre preschool all the way through high school and church in the same place in a private school. So there was a pipeline from Baylor University to our church back home. So being back here, I see a lot of these same people. And then uh, my parents, some of their friends who went to church at when we go tailgate. Um, so it's the first time I was tailgating, having a beer in hand, it was like, oh, like I was like, so sorry, I'm having like a moment of like flashback to my childhood. But I go, oh, like everybody, everybody's here. You know this person, they know this. So yeah, this is a, it's a very, we have a very small town, even though it's a city here in Waco. And, uh, and yes, you know, people who work at that church and who grew up with you in this church and whose parents are elders in that church. And so, and I still think that regardless of uh, how, how, progressive uh and I'm, I'm pretty public at this point and, and people know I've had, <laughs> I've had some of my mom's friends uh, ask about my salvation at times and that's that's just kind of funny <laughs> to me that's important to them and I'm like oh like I feel bad that, that they feel bad for me I'm like oh my gosh I don't feel bad for myself but, but I feel bad that they feel bad does that make sense uh so it's a uh, you know I'm like I see I'm you know I think these people would still be there for me you know what I mean even as a as a middle-aged man these these older uh, women and these men who probably judge me theologically would still have my back. <laughs> oh, there's Ryan. You know, we got, we got him. We got him. Um, no. Uh, yeah, so, uh, like oh, sorry. Go for it. No, I'm, I'm just saying it's, it's, it's funny how uh, these worlds are still, I think it's what I do love about, about uh, religious traditions and communities as much as I, uh, and I'm sure we all have like love and hate, but uh, I, I do think at the end of the day, they, they probably would have your back. You know what I mean? I mean, like, like what you said, Keegan. So sorry, go ahead, Alexa. I was cutting you off there. You're all right. Yeah, I feel like it kind of goes uh, or it feels adjacent-ish to uh, what Keegan was saying about how, like, you could take that sort of same concept and flip it, you know, with Nazarene theology or with sort of being such a network of community. And if you make that really insular, that can be really confining. But if you flip it inside out and just feel like, okay, we're building, yeah, a network of care, like, that can be so amazing. And so... I feel like part of that and also kind of getting back to sort of the the culture on, in which Nazarene kids are raised feels so much like a need for control from the church, you know, especially with like the way that you they interpret the Nazarene theology. Oh, well, it gives more control. But if you just relinquish that, like it's still supported by the theology and it just leads to such happier, yes. healthier people. Yes, absolutely. So Keegan, could you uh, could you define queer theology for people and then expand on that for a moment? Sure. So um, usually the way that I like to define queer um, is having to do with non-normative gender, sexuality, sex um, broadly, right? So normative being heterosexual, binary gender, you're born a man, you're born a woman, that's it, and you marry each other. That's the only thing you can do. Queer is basically anything that questions, problematizes, messes with that kind of system. And so queer theology is doing that in the realm of theology. So thinking about the Bible, God, um, church, in ways that mess with these normative assumptions, particularly about gender and sexuality. Um, and so the way that I practice queer theology is really um, a practice of asking questions and play. So basically taking a text, 
you know, maybe like the Bible or, you know, as I do in my book, sermons of John Wesley or, you know, anything, a, a liturgy could be a text, um, ritual, whatever, taking that text and asking it questions. So like, who's in charge here? What are the gender issues at play? Um, what is, what are the assumptions about mm -hmm. sex, gender, sexuality, and then just kind of like messing around with them. So asking those questions just to see what comes out and then also, you know, messing around with them. So some, an example I like to give is like, if you have a Bible story, say like, I don't know, the woman at the well or something. So you have Jesus coming to the well to talk to this woman. What happens if you swap their genders? you know, um, just to play around, see what happens, see how it changes the story. Um, or, you know, any other, like, I don't know, what if you took the story of Zacchaeus and made Zacchaeus a woman? What, what would change about the story if you do some gender swapping? I love, like, I think that's a great example of, of doing some like queer Bible stuff because it just becomes so generative. So this is the thing I think like Alexa was talking about um, in terms of control. It's like the opposite of that, right? Instead of trying to codify, systematize, queer theology tries to like explode and <laughs> just like, like mess up, not in like a destructive way necessarily. I mean, sometimes, but um, really in a generative way. Um, because you can kind of like bring out a lot of new ideas and really fun things. Um, and this is something, especially again, going back to Bible, I find it to be such an exciting tool for, for Bible study, really. If you think about the Bible as scripture, something that continues to be meaningful to us as Christians today, um, thinking about new ways to engage with it is so much fun. And so I think like doing queer theology in this way is such the opposite of this, like controlling, systematizing, and it's just more like freeing. And I'm going to keep using the word generative because I like it. Um, mm -hmm. it. It just like brings more out and brings life into, and it just makes clear more possibilities and opportunities um, rather than limiting them. Yeah. I just think that generative language is so nice. And I think it, it really highlights uh, the cultural moment we're in, where we see a lot of these traditions trying to clamp back down into very specific roles, especially around gender, when we're looking at how to be a man's man and how to be the best wife and like they want to keep it in that box. I keep having this thought in my head of some of these memes of like, you know, we did that in the nineties, right? Like, did you just pull the books back out? It's the same stuff. I'm much more interested in a generative open, like let's really wrestle with something and find something new or another way to look at it at least. Yeah, I think I think some people hearing this idea of sort of, you know, queering theology exploding everything, which, you know, it's so, so exciting to me. I'm sure that can be really scary. And I think that I would expect maybe some people to ask, well, then how do we know who we are? How do we define what it means to be Nazarene? <laughs> and I think, number one, embrace uh, uncertainty <laughs> to be really, you know, fruitful for, for lots of great conversations. But also, I think what's really helpful in approaching that question is recognizing that all the way that the Nazarene Church or any institution or gender currently, you know, anything at all has been created was a series of choices, not not necessarily, you know, like one person decided, but turning points, you know, and mm -hmm. to recognize that where we got to the Nazarene Church today could have gone differently, I think really leads to a lot more options that, you know, where we don't need to cling to controlling onto tradition in the past, because that's not actually the fundamental of where the church came from. It could have happened differently. We could have made different choices as a denomination up to here. And so now that we're exploding this theology, we have all these choices ahead of us, we can look at the outcome of what we have now and decide, ooh, I don't like where we are. Let's make different choices. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. So what would y'all uh, what would y'all say to people who are they're considering uh, speaking up, whether they're they're in education, uh, lay people in ministry within the Nazarene uh, realm? I know it's fast. 
what encouragement would you give them? What, uh, and I know you're both coming at it from different perspectives of how you came in and out of the Nazarene tradition, or I'll actually, I'll, I'll say all three of you as well. I mean, I'm, I'm the, I'm, just, I'm the outsider here. I know, you know, you're still in it, even though you're not in it. And, you know, Alexa, you're still in it, even though you're not, as y'all have already said, <laughs> but you all, but you all have like you, your voices, uh, and yeah, you're encouraging voices for people who are listening. And, and hopefully this, this reaches a, a wider audience of Nazarenes who are on that fringe and who are silent. I'll, I'll go. I'll, I'll say that I really, truly believe, again, because I learned about the Church of the Nazarene as an adult. So like, you know, my brain was basically fully formed <laughs> and like I wasn't like inculcated as a Nazarene, as a youth. So I kind of like just learned from scratch and I'm just like, this is, this is a progressive denomination. It really could be, you know, when I dive into Wesley, John Wesley's work, like you can use it for progressive means. One thing the Church of Nazarene loves to talk about is how they've ordained women from day one. And, you know, like they're, they're all about like, you know, empowering women. And I'm just like, you know, the hermeneutic you use to empower women is exactly the same hermeneutic that you can use to liberate queer folks. It's exactly the same. Yep. And obviously some people are gonna look at that and be like, oh, then maybe we shouldn't be ordaining women. And I'm gonna be like, <laughs> okay, <laughs> that's the choice you wanna make in, the, in terms of consistency, fine. But like, come on. So, you know, that's kind of my take on it is like, this is like, if you actually get into the Nazarene theology, the Nazarene manual, there are really progressive and wholesome and um, healing and good ways to interpret it. Yeah. Does it need tweaking? Yes. Um, but even as it is now, like you can do some really interesting and good and progressive things with this doctrine. Yeah. Um, it takes a little bit of creativity. I'm not going to lie, but that's okay. And then secondly, I would say, again, like, I feel like I'm proof positive of a way that not only can you like be Nazarene and queer or whatever, but the Nazarene church can be a healthy and loving place for queer people because it has been for me. And I'm, I don't know how that hits the ears of people who wish I would leave but I don't really care because that's my truth, right? Yeah. Like this is the life that I've lived. Here I am. I can do no other. Like I'm Nazarene. I've had a good experience here mostly. Sorry about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, um, that's usually that's usually how, how I kind of deal with, you know, people, it's always hilarious, right? When people are like, why don't you go find a, find a church that aligns better with what you believe or want to do or whatever. And I'm like, aren't you evangelicals? Like, why are you, isn't the whole thing? Like you want people to come to your church? Like, why are you, I'm in your church. Why are you, yeah. like, don't you want me you to go got to church? Me. Don't isn't push that, me out. Isn't the whole thing is like, I need Jesus. I should go to church. Like I'm literally here. Why are you mad? <laughs> um, anyway, so that's what I would say. Like, you know, the church of the Nazarene can be a good and productive and healthy place. And like, there's, there's plenty of evidence for that in my own life and just in the polity itself. Yeah. I would add on to that also that if, so if you are, you know, either on the, on the cusp of becoming affirming quote unquote, I don't know that it's like a flip the switch type thing, <laughs> or if you are, or hesitant to be more public in your affirming stance, I think that starting conversations with folks and finding a community of like-minded people is so essential. Number one, they exist. <laughs> I mm -hmm. think that it, there's such a, a silence around this. And I think if you start talking to folks, you'll discover, oh, a lot more people are queer than you realize. A lot more people are affirming than you realize. Mm -hmm. Sort of building that, you know, coalition um, is really valuable, both to like, you know, eventually hopefully make change, but also for your own like well-being and mental health to find like-minded folks. And on that same note, even if you are affirming a sort of any, not that it's a linear trajectory, but at any sort of point, I think never sort of be complacent, which I mean, by that, I mean, like, 
there's always more learning to do. And I think that it's really tempting to, to take the stance of like, oh, well, I'm progressive. I've reached my final form. <laughs> I'm enlightened. I never need to learn again. And that, you know, myself included, literally everyone, there's always more to learn. And it can also really be a step towards harm prevention in that if you are an affirming person, that doesn't necessarily mean that you are not able to unintentionally harm queer people. You know, if you want to start those conversations and sort of walk through your journey and unpack that with someone who's queer in the church, that might not be quite the right venue. So I think continuing to learn, continuing to read and converse with other people can be a really uh, healthy way to, to develop this part of you. And also Janelle, I believe in your essay, you recommended a book. Yeah. Don't remember what it's called for this exact purpose. <laughs> yeah. I'll give the plug. Uh, David Gushy wrote a book called changing our minds mm-hmm. and it is in the reading and work I've done. I think one of the most thorough books out there to give you the theology, the kind of the, the social and cultural ideas he even midway through the book says, if you can't go through this with me all the way, here's, I think it's to eight or 10 things you can do to be a good human to queer folk. Mm-hmm. And I just, I remember reading that the first time and every time I've revisited, it's so powerful to say, and I think we need to hear this, especially in the Church of the Nazarene, even if you don't agree, you still can be kind and compassionate and you can care for people and that's what you should be doing period and so I just I think it's a a great intro book and from there you can jump into lots of other biographies and autobiographies and stories a lot of people want the theology they want the verses dealt with they want that stuff he covers that in a way that is just accessible and meaningful and really is open to discussion. So David Gushy, Changing Our Minds is a great place to start. The only thing I'd add to what you said was, I think for those of you thinking about becoming more vocal or exploring your position or stating, becoming affirming, like it is a risk and we're not guaranteed not to have risks in this life. And you might lose some of your community. You might have to leave your church but it's only through speaking and walking this road with others that we bring about change and that we make the church into the kind of church that it can be. And um, I know that's scary, but just please, as you've been listening to this, we're out here. We're here with you. You're not alone. We can get you to a group where you can have affirmation of your of what you need to do and help and resources and um, you don't have to do this alone anymore. We're out here to help you. And so be true to who you are and to what you're learning and experiencing. And, and if, if that means taking a risk, do it and join us because we're happy to have you. Y'all have any, any other final thoughts or um, things that you wish you would have said earlier or come back? You're like, oh, I should have said this. And now that I've, or you're like, man, I'm good. I'm, I've said all that I needed to say. I know there's always more to say. Think we covered it. <laughs> I'll just say I'm, I'm so grateful for y'all, and I'm I'm so grateful for people who even people who have left the church but want to continue having this conversation with and for the church. Um, you know, I think it's really important and helpful. Again, like I said, like sometimes, you know, I don't you know have any need to like defend or continue the church, but sometimes you know I need to like help guide people out and it's always good to be like there's people that'll meet you on the other side you know (laughs) well that on honestly Keegan I mean that's been uh, I feel like in the group that we have online I feel like I'm one of the people that's been out quite a while I'm almost 10 years out and man it's not it is nice to be able to say hey we're, we're right here I got a list for you I got a bibliography like I can talk you through some of this that that wasn't there even a decade ago really and so I'm really thankful for this community and that we can all walk with people through this and help them get to a good place yeah this, this is encouraging uh, as well I you know I I, I don't affiliate with uh, obviously obviously I don't with, with the Southern Baptist Convention that's been many years ago. Uh, but then, you know, here at Baylor, there's the General Baptist Commission of Texas. 
and they have kind of like the Nazarene in a lot of, a lot of ways, um, ordained women, you know, Truett Seminary. I didn't go to Truett. I went to Denver, but very similar uh, ordaining women, but then also lately has kind of dub, uh, doubled down and uh, against LGBT inclusion. Um, but yet there's people within like professors in there, uh, students who went to school there that are like, no, that's, that's not who they are anymore. And so then there's a cooperative uh, Baptist fellowship, right? And our, so our, our church is that, which is a very broad umbrella. Uh, but I think a lot of people who are still in, not the Southern Baptist world, that's a different world. But the other one, the other one, big one in Texas, they're, they're like, man, um, I wish this denomination would change. Um, there's probably enough of them where I think at some point, like the Nazarene church, like there is hope. I, st I still think there is, but it's a, it's, a, it's a tough one around here too as well. And I, I feel it a lot with the people that I know that work at, at Baylor and work at, with, with Truett over there. So I don't want to, I'm not going to throw any names under the bus. But. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, and that's yeah. why, you know, that's part of the reason I stay too, yeah. right? Because I can. And, you know, for as much as it's good to have people on the other side, like, right. you know, we still need people on the inside to bear witness, to just show up and be like, here I am, here's the deal. Like, let me affirm you, let me educate you. And then you can decide what's best for you. Like yeah. as a queer person, as an affirming person, like, um, you know, I can catch you here and then like, we can figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. There's, well, yeah, it's encouraging times and also frustrating times, but I guess it depends on how we see it. So that's a, this is, this has been encouraging. So I appreciate the three of you and, and Janelle and I've known each other for eight, nine, how many years? Yeah, we're getting, a while. It's getting yeah, up we're, there. we're getting up there. I know. Um, but we've known you longer than I've known the whole well, my, my youngest daughter's not, I've known you longer than, than, than Anna. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, speaking of, I do, I do have to uh, attend to them. We have a few more days left before they start school. But uh, they, they want to do some fun things today and tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Cool. So, uh, yeah. So if you uh, if you are, if you've listened to this episode, we appreciate you as well. And you can share this online. And um, like I said, tag us. We're at Brew Theology and Brew underscore Theology on Twitter. Yeah, yeah. Rate it, review it on iTunes. That's that's actually, even though we are, we're on Podbean and Google Play and all the other ones, I think Apple still, unfortunately, is the king. And so uh, there you go, Apple. Um, rate it, review it there. Five stars. Well, thank you all. I really appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Yeah. That's great. It's been so wonderful. Well, if you have something else you want to chat about in, in theology, you let us know and we'll find a time. Great. All right. Love all right. It. See you all. Thanks, y'all. Bye-bye. Yep. Thanks Bye. so much.